All right, well, King Jehoshaphat, and if you have trouble saying that name, you can just say King Josephat. It's a little easier, and maybe it'll help you remind, remember his name, and you can look it up in the Bible and read the story for yourself. It's in Second Chronicles 2020. King Jehoshaphat ended his uh, prayer to God by saying, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's the one sentence I want you to remember from this day. When you walk away, I want you to remember it for the rest of your life. So I need you to say it out loud and repeat after me. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Try one more time. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. All right, good. Now God immediately gave his answer to them after that prayer. And he told them, the battle is not yours. It's mine. And he told them, you're not going to have to fight this battle. And, and you're just going to have to march out, though. You're still going to have to take up your positions. And you're going to still have to stand firm and stand your ground if you're going to watch my deliverance. And the same goes for us today in the spiritual battles that we face. It is the Lord's battle, but you'll still have to march out. You'll still have to take your position, and you're still going to have to stand firm if you're going to watch God give His help to you. And you know, the rest of the story that was described by Sue is a spiritual event that took place in the physical world, demonstrating that there is an aspect of worship that is war. And this is a very physical example of when you worship, you go to war. But there are some other spiritual examples of what we battle when we worship. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, some of you might be scratching your heads just going, how in the world can worship, something most of us simply associate with good feelings, really be associated with war? I mean, how can that be? Well, if you remember in the story of God, the, the story that we did of several episodes from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that, that near the beginning of our physical world, there was already a spiritual realm in existence that, and, and where there was war that broke out against God in this spiritual realm. Satan persuades other angels to rebel against God. Michael, a leading angel of God's forces, battles against them, and Satan and his angels lose their place in heaven, and they are cast down to earth. We can read this in, Revel in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. Now, there's also another description of this event in, in the Old Testament. It's, it's a historical thing. It's a prophetic nature. In Isaiah, there's a, a prophet, and many church leaders look at this prophecy. Uh, many church leaders from the past, uh, many of the ancient uh, church fathers, believe that this was a description of Satan's intent. It was a description of Satan's heart. It was, it was a, a poetical uh, prophecy that was alluding back to the time of the garden and the fall uh, from heaven, and, uh, but was being applied to this Babylonian king. And here is what is said uh, of this, and, it, and really it, it sounds like a description of Satan's intent in his rebellion. How have you 
how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. That is the exalted place that the enemy wanted to take. But guess who God gave that place to instead? Jesus. He gave that highest exalted place to Jesus. We read that in Philippians 2. Because Jesus humbled himself, taking on flesh and dying on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And Jesus was given this place that Satan wanted to take. And it infuriates the enemy. So how in the world does that involve us and worship? So what? It's a fight between the powers and the unseen supernatural world. Big deal. What does that have to do with you and me today, right now and here? Well, there is just one little thing, one little thing that happened when you and I said yes to Jesus, washing away our sins and saying yes to him being our Lord. Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God in the highest, most exalted place, said to you and me, I'm sealing you with my spirit. So come up here and sit with me. Come up here and sit with me. I want to share this seat with you. I want to share my inheritance with you. I am in you. You are in me. And there you have it. Everything Satan and his minions wanted to take to be like God, to be in the most exalted place. It has just been given to you and me in Christ Jesus as an undeserved gift. You have what Satan wants, and he can't stand it. He wanted to be like God. And you and me, we've been given God's Spirit within us. And, and we are being shaped into the likeness of Christ. We are becoming more like our Lord. Satan wanted to take that highest place in heaven, and we were just given it. Yes, you and I really had nothing to do with it, but you've just been drugged into a supernatural war, and Satan is infuriated with all of you. The Bible says that he is so infuriated that he's going to make war against you. Those who obey God's commands and hold to the story of Jesus. Is that you? Do you hold to the story of the old rugged cross? That, that you put faith in what Jesus did for you there? Do you hold to that testimony? Do you say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to obey you. If that's the case, you're in that category of someone who's going to have war, have war made upon you by the enemy. So whether you like it or not, when you worship Jesus and exalt Him and say, yes, you deserve to be lifted in the highest place in the universe and the highest place in my life, you infuriate the enemy and he wants to make war against you. He wants to stop you from exalting Christ in your life. And there are four areas where the enemy is going to try to distort your worship so that you stop exalting Jesus as Lord. And here's what you got to do in these four areas. You need to acknowledge the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. You got to still march out. You got to take your position and you got to stand firm in your worship. 
with the worship of your life. You need to worship to win. The first area of battle that hits all of us is the battle of sin. When we sin, it is disobedience and dishonor to God. It is the opposite of worship. It's the opposite of honoring God. The Bible says that the law of sin is at work within us, waging war against our minds, trying to make us a prisoner of sin. This isn't a battle that's out there. It's a battle right here in our flesh. It's very real. And you all know what I'm talking about. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? That's the sentence that sums it up from Apostle Paul. That's the battle I'm talking about. When we are tempted to sin, God does not allow more than we can bear. He always provides us with a way out. God is faithful and He is good even when we are tempted to sin. You might be in a situation where sin seems so powerful over you that you don't feel like you can win the battle. And when you're tempted, you instead just need to pray like Jehoshaphat. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. In that moment, you are recognizing you need God. And your eyes are lifted up. You're getting it off the temptation. And you're getting it to Him. And guess what? You're beginning to worship. You're exalting Christ in the highest place. You're beginning to march. You're beginning to take up your position. You are standing firm. In worship, as you worship Him, offer the parts of your body as a living sacrifice to Him. God, here are my hands. Here are my feet. Take me where you will. Here are my, my eyes and my mouth, my ears. <clears throat> and Lord, here's my heart and my mind. May they be filled with thoughts for you. And offer them up as instruments of righteous use, not instruments for evil use. And you, at that moment, give spiritual worship. Spiritual worship, and the Lord will fight for you. But I'm telling you that some of us, when sin comes to tempt us, we're not taking up our positions. Instead, we're taking up pride instead. We're saying, ah, oh, I'll never fall to that temptation. I mean, I've beat that many times before in my life. That's not a problem in my life anymore. I can fight this. I'm strong. Despite the fact that the Scripture says when you face temptation, you're to run, flee. You, you resist the enemy, but you flee temptation. You know, when we, or you can go to the opposite side, opposite side. Instead of taking up pride, Oh, man, I've never fallen to that sin. I've never, that's not going to happen to me. Instead, you take up despair. And you start saying things like, I'll never win. I might as well give in to this. What's the use? No, 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 no. Take up your position. Put your eyes on Jesus. And, and maybe you don't think of it as a fight song, but you need to find a fight song for the moments when you're tempted by sin. And maybe there's a particular sin that haunts you and comes to tempt you often. And you need to find your fight song. And maybe this is the fight song that you need to do. Maybe, maybe it's something like uh, this. It, it's, it's more of a, a song of humility, words of confession, words of saying, Jesus, you are the one who can help me. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, uh, here I am, knowing I'm a sinful man majesty your grace has found me just as i am empty-handed but alive in your hands maybe that's the song you need to sing to take up your fight go to battle and worship the lord and he will fight for you the second area we battle is self yep one more that's not out there but it's right here where the battle is at 
Jason touched on it last week, and it's another distortion the enemy wants to trick you with, to get Jesus out of the exalted place in your life and instead put yourself there. My kingdom, my power, my glory, instead of Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' power, and Jesus' glory. What does Jesus tell us to do with ourself? He tells us to do the exact opposite that the world is telling you to do with yourself. Instead of, oh, love yourself and believe in yourself, what does Jesus say? Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Some of you don't need to go to a Dale Carnegie course to learn how to assert yourself. Instead, you need to go to a worship conference and learn how to deny yourself. That's what you need to do. And, and I'm telling you, humble yourself before the Lord. That's what the Scriptures say to do with yourself. Deny yourself. Humble yourself. Maybe you, need to come up, maybe you need to have a little song when you're battling with yourself. You're getting a little fleshy. And you just need to sing that little, little song that sounds like a bunch of monks chanting. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And you don't need to sing the rest of the song. And he will lift you up because you're already messing with yourself being in a high place already. So just sing that first part over and over and over. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And you can pretend you're a monk going on the way to the chapel. All right? You need to get yourself out of the way. Some of us need to get ourself straightened out and to give ourselves a good talking to. I know that uh, some of you, and I've seen it too, you, you see a lot of garbage ab- about, out there about positive self-talk. Positive self-talk. But the scriptures do seem to indicate that we need to give ourselves a good talking to every now and then. Look at David in the Psalms, giving himself a talking to. Why are you so downcast, soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. It's like he's giving himself a kick in the pants. Put your hope in God. The right way to straighten yourself out is to worship. You need to tell your soul what to do. Maybe you need to do that song, Awake my soul, awake my soul and sing. And you need to get Get that that focus right. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Listen to Asaph, whose self was getting in the way. There was some envy of the rich and the wicked that was trying to overtake him. And he says this in Psalm 73, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I went to the sanctuary of God to worship. Then I understood their destiny. You're getting all bent out of shape with yourself, struggling with pride, with envy, despair, depression, and you don't know what to do? Lift your eyes up to Him, to Jesus. Go into the sanctuary of worship in your home, in your woods, in your mind as you go to work, in your mind as you're walking down the city streets. Worship Him. Maybe you need to sing that, uh, uh, that little song, you know, humble yourself and, and, and take up your position and worship. And the battle will be the battle against self. And instead, as you worship, you're letting Jesus take that supreme, exalted place in your life instead of yourself. Go to battle. Let Christ live through you. The third place of battle that the enemy is going to come after you and he's been coming hard today after people with this. He's throwing it at them. 
life's circumstances. You know, here, here's what I mean by life circumstances. Your, your dog trips you and gives you a $9,000 hospital bill. You lose your job. Your pay is cut. Your car stops working. Someone you love has a life-threatening disease or sickness. You work hard, but you get little in return. One thing after another, and you just want to say, what's going on? Can a guy or a girl get a break these days? Life circumstances can cause people to choose to get bitter. And sometimes that bitterness is turned towards God. It's the wrong thing. It's the wrong choice. The scriptures tell us that God's character is unchanging. That God, no matter your circumstances, whether they're bad or whether they're good, God is still compassionate. He's still faithful. He's still kind. He's still just. He's still good. And even when life's circumstances are hard. And so I know that sometimes in this country, we, we, try, to, we try to comfort ourselves. And we, we, we think things like, when we got bad circumstances, we go, well... At least I don't have it as bad as some of those other people in that other country. Which is true, but that doesn't put you in a position to battle life circumstances. It doesn't put you in a place of worship. Instead, it's an act of resignation for you and the others who are in a worse plight than you. Instead, do what the people of the book do. Do what God's people do. Look at the prophet Habakkuk who had to prophesy the destruction of his own country and the captivity of his people. And as he was watching his, his, his country be overrun by the enemy, watching friends and neighbors being taken away into a foreign land, he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Look, your circumstances might have you down, but don't turn your back on the one who can strengthen you in this most needed moment. The one who can enable you to leap over these obstacles that life has thrown at you. Look at Paul and Silas when life circumstances turn bad for them. They're in Philippi. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing what God wants them to do. And, and they help this slave girl. And they help free her. And, and what, what happens? They end up getting beaten and thrown in prison. You know, that sort of thing happened today to some of us. Here's, here's some of the words we probably say. Psh, that'll be the last time I helped somebody. Man. Boy, look where being faithful got me. In jail. Huh. We'd start grumping and griping, wham, wham, wham. But you know what, Paul and Silas, they weren't griping about life circumstances. Instead, at about midnight, with chains on their hands and their feet, they started praying and singing in prison. And it's like a Jehoshaphat moment. As they turn and exalt Jesus instead of their circumstances to the highest place, God fights for them, and he opens up the prison's doors. And that night, they're free. The jailer they leads to the Lord, and great things happen. It's a wonderful, beautiful moment. God fights for them. Jesus is going to remain in the highest place no matter what our circumstances are. But where your heart has him placed is what the enemy is coming after. He wants to throw some hard circumstances at you 
So that you stop exalting Jesus in the highest place in your life. Do you see it? Do you get it? That he's coming after you in that way? He wants you to get mad and stop lifting up Jesus. And you know what? When you do that, when you don't lift him up, that just makes things worse in your life, not better. When life circumstances come hard against you, don't lie down dejected and complain, but take your position. And like Jehoshaphat say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You need to sing Habakkuk song. I think we got a few these days. You can find them out there. The one that comes to my mind is an older one, but you can find a newer one. But uh, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. That's a Habakkuk song. I'm going to praise you no matter what. Honor God when circumstances are good. Honor God when circumstances are bad. God already has enough fair-weather friends. He doesn't need any more. He is always faithful to you. Be true to Him. You know, the fourth battlefield in the war of worship is in the spiritual realm. You know there's stuff going on in the unseen world that's connected to the seen world? The Bible tells us, Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I've told you why this struggle involves you today. Jesus in His mercy has invited you to sit with Him. And He has given His Spirit to you to make you like Him. The enemy is infuriated and will do all he can to stop that from happening in more people. And He's going to do all that He can so that you do not reflect God's image. He's going to throw sin at you so you stop reflecting Christ. He's going to throw hard circumstances at you to get you to stop reflecting Christ. He's going to get your big fat self in the way so that you'll stop reflecting Christ. And sometimes the enemy is going to even unleash dark spiritual powers against you to stop you, to silence you. Some of us don't even realize the spiritual protection that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God No angel, no demon, no power, no height, nor depth can separate us from the love of God. And so we don't even realize this spiritual protection that's all around us. So when something is unleashed on us, when the enemy wants to silence you and cut down and keep Jesus from being in that highest place in your life, you you just kind of scratch your head and you say something like this. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. I'm just kind of in a funk. I mean, there's no sin, there's no exalting of myself, there's no circumstances I can point to, but there's just something that makes us feel bad or feel like we're trying to run through waist-deep mud. And if you've ever been in that place where you're looking around going, I can't point to anything that really dictates why I'm sensing what I'm sensing or feeling what I'm feeling or thinking what I'm thinking, you might just be feeling some spiritual attack in your life. And the reason is, is because Christ is in your life and you're reflecting His image. And at this point, what you need to do is lift up your eyes to Jesus and go to war with your worship. You need to cry out with the psalmist, through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. When you worship, 
Offering yourself to God with your choices. Offering up words of honor to God. Singing praise that is due to his name. You are warring and pushing back the enemy. And this is the part that I think the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit delight in in the most. That through us, us little frail human beings that they decided to bestow grace on through their praise and through our testimony of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb, we're overcoming this powerful enemy, Satan. And though we read in the end that it's God Himself who defeats Satan and throws him into the lake of fire, the Scriptures say in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy at the beginning of God's story. When he said, the serpent will try to bite his heel, but he will crush his head. That was about Jesus. That Satan would try to to strike his heel, but Jesus, the serpent crusher, instead would crush him underfoot. And I believe that we truly are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet, you hear people say many times. We are the body of the serpent crusher, and through our worship and the lifting up of his name, we will trample the foe. We will crush his head. The battle is the Lord's. He will fight for us. You get in a position where you don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And and as soon as you do that, you do what you're saying. Your eyes on Him, that's the beginning of worship. That's the beginning of exalting Christ in your life. He will fight for us. He will fight for us when we do that. And I want to know, are you ready to march out? Are you ready to take your positions? Are you ready to stand firm in the heat of the fight? Don't turn and run. Trust. So I I want us to practice this right now. So I want you to stand up with me. And uh, I got this little song that we're going to sing together. It's, it's beginning this. And, and then Nate's going to come up and, and help us out and, and continue on with some more worship that's a little more sophisticated than, than this little Hobbit song. Uh, I don't know if uh, you, you saw the Hobbit movie and where the dwarves are at uh, Bilbo's house and they start singing the song. Uh, and, and it's all these low tones. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And there's kind of a somberness to it, but yet there's kind of a, a beauty, beauty to it and a warlike sense to it. Well, I got this song that's kind of like this. And so you got to kind of picture that you're a dwarf and you're ready to put on your battle gear. You're ready to go out and fight the dragon. And, and so this is the song, all right? I'll sing it, and if you know it, you can join with me. Uh, and if not, you'll catch around the second time. With the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand, we mount our assault on the portals of hell, for against us they shall not stand. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord, for the battle is in His hand. And if you're a guy, you can sing that an octave lower, bring in the bass. With thy praises of God in all. All right, you can do that. All right. All right, we'll try that and get some of that dwarf stuff going on, all right? All right, here we go. 
With the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand, we mount our assault on the portals of hell, and against us they shall not stand. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. For the battle is in his hand. One more time. With the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand. We mount our assault on the portals of hell, and against us they shall not stand. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord, for the battle is in his hands. Dear God, make us a people battle ready. Lord, show us how to use this tool of worship, this tool of exalting you and humbling ourselves. And Lord, when, when sin comes against us, when self gets in the way, when life's circumstances try to bring us down, when, when unseen forces come against us, Lord, may we not fall back and retreat. May we not lose our ground, but instead march out, take up our places and hold and stand firm exalting you. And Lord, if there's moments where we don't know what to do, may we look to you, put our eyes on you, and remember, you deserve the most exalted place in the universe. You are in that exalted place, and you deserve that exalted place in our hearts and our lives. May we be worshipers in spirit and truth. May we learn to war with our worship. In Jesus' name. Amen.